0: and welcome to Eye on the Triangle.
1: I'm Jake Langlois.
0: And I'm DeAndre Jones, and we thank you for tuning in. Tonight we're bringing you some great information about events on and around campus. Also, we'll be running an older but still relevant piece about dealing with the human trafficking in America.
1: DeAndre covered the biggest blood drive of the year for this show, as well as a local beat battle with a great message.
0: Let's not forget Packapalooza either. Southbound 85 is a local band that is playing at the Pack-themed block party. And I had the pleasure of speaking to a member. But before all that, the weather. Alright guys, so today it was 83 degrees Fahrenheit, our low was 69, and our chance of rain was 30%. <clears throat> Tomorrow we're looking at 86, per, 86 degree high with isolated thunderstorms and 70 degree low, chance of rain 30%. Uh, Thursday we're looking at an 89 degree high, 70, 74 degree low, chance of rain 20%, only partly, crowd, partly cloudy. Friday, 90 degree high, 75 degree low, and scattered thunderstorms, 40% chance of rain. Saturday, we're looking at scattered thunderstorms, 87 degree high, 74 degree low, If a 40% chance of rain. Sunday is looking very, very similar to that. Scattered thunderstorms with an 88 degree high, 73 degree low. Monday, 85 degree high, 71 degree low, with more scattered thunderstorms. And Tuesday's looking pretty much just the same. And
1: Thanks for that, DeAndre. Pack of Blues is approaching steadily. With the event set for the 24th of this month, be sure not to miss the festivities. Southbound 85 will be playing that night. Want to know more about the band? Go ahead and listen to this interview.
0: Hey guys, this is DeAndre from Eye on the Triangle and I'm here with uh, Jeff from Southbound 85, which is a local band. Uh, Jeff's going to talk to us a little bit about Southbound 85 and about their part in Packapalooza this year. So Jeff, uh, you know what is Southbound 85? Where does the name
2: come from? Southbound 85 was my idea back in 2007. Uh, I was DJing at a local club and uh, some bands were coming through and I just thought that they really weren't that great so i decided to uh move from the dj booth uh and start my own band um southbound 85 the name uh when when i put the band together um about three of the guys were coming down 85 highway 85 to get to uh, the practice facility and so i was thinking uh we're in the south they're on 85 southbound 85 and the name just stuck
0: (laughs) All right, so how long have you guys been uh, playing music though
2: We we're, we're celebrating our 6th year in the triangle.
0: Very cool, very cool. Um and what kind of music do you guys uh make and play? Well,
2: we uh mainly play uh play mainstream country uh such as uh Luke Bryan, Florida Georgia Line, Jason Aldean, Eric Church, but uh, we throw some other stuff in too. depends on the crowd, you know, if the, the crowd is real rowdy, we'll throw something out there like uh, some 80s and some requests. So uh you know, you'll hear country mainly the mainstream country, but you just never know what you're here when I show.
0: Right, you know, being in the south, of course you gotta you gotta have a little country. Oh right? yeah. Um, so, um so are you guys excited to be a part of the pack of Palooza?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. This is our first year playing uh Pacapalooza. Uh I worked the event last year. I was actually on Hillsborough Street working a booth and uh just loved interacting with all the people.
0: Very cool. So, um what is your favorite thing about uh, North Carolina State University?
2: All oh, the people uh, and, and the camaraderie and just uh, the pride that we all have in the university and being part of uh, the Wolfpack Nation.
0: Right. So um, I know that you hold a position here at NC State. What do you do here?
2: Well, I work for the online programs in uh, Delta. and Don't get that confused with the, <laughs> <underlying>, but, <laughs> the Delta uh Program here at NC State, which is the online program. I go out and I recruit at the uh, military bases all around the state, which is a good thing. Um, but that's uh, my main job is marketing and promotion.
0: Does your van play lesser of a role in your life than that job does?
2: We play. Um, you know, the, the band is kind of like a hobby for me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, I really enjoy doing it. I kind of you know keep it under the rug you know, on the weekends and. Have a good time and show up to work on Monday morning, ready to go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it's sort of like you know, it's sort of like just like a a weekend thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's mainly a weekend thing. So,
0: um, so um, do you? I know you said you've been together for six years. Do you? Do you still get nervous before your shows?
2: You know, um, you would think that being a DJ uh, at a major club for some time, uh, you would one know all the words to the songs. (laughs) But when you get behind the mic uh, for the first time and stand up there and you you have to remember all the words, it's amazing. You can sing along, but when you get behind the mic in front of people, it's a totally different story. Um, When I first started, uh, I would actually kind of lose my breath. I would kind of get an anxiety attack. But uh, over the past six years, uh, I've really grown accustomed to being behind the mic and playing to large crowds. Uh, For those people out there that are listening, for the NC State fans and so forth, you might have seen us at the Mount Olive Pickle Festival, at the Peanut Festival, at the Shrimp Festival, and uh, the Downtown Block Party. We played for over 4,000 people this year. Um, and, you know, you can check all that stuff out online, you know, at our website, Facebook, Twitter. You know, mm-hmm. you can catch up with us and see what we're <laughs> all about.
0: So is the, um, was that a festival for 4,000, Was that your biggest crowd, or what is your biggest crowd yet?
2: Yeah, that, that 4,000 about, is my biggest crowd and it's it's a fun crowd um it's downtown right in front of the capitol building on Fayetteville street uh it's just a lot of energy and uh you know you can catch some of the videos on youtube
0: right and uh i think that uh pack might give you a little bit of a run for your money for your biggest crowd
2: well i hope so i hope <laughs> so because the more people the more excited we are and the more we get into it so it's it's going to be a great day it really is
0: oh yeah so um so for uh, for those of you all who don't know, Packapalooza is coming very soon. It's coming uh at the end of the um the Saturday of Welcome Week. So that's gonna be our first week in school, and uh we're definitely excited to have you guys and uh, have you guys come in and help us, you know, get acclimated to university, especially the the newer freshman students.
2: Oh, we're really looking forward to it, and thank you for uh, calling up and talking with us about the band.
0: Oh, no problem, no problem. Um and for I on the Triangle, this has been
1: DeAndre Jones. Thank you for that, DeAndre. Terrified people at the rural Sailorsburg, Pennsylvania, township board meeting Monday night ran for cover as the shooter opened fire and yelled, They stole my land. They stole my land. For a brief, crucial moment, the shooting stopped. Police say the shooter left the meeting to change guns. Now police are hailing the local parks director and another man as heroes. The gunman killed three people at the board meeting in Monroe County. Next, the Florida Cabinet gave the go-ahead Tuesday for dozens of unmarked graves buried deep in the woods near a now-defunct reform school to be exhumed in an attempt to return the bodies to their families. Governor Rick Scott, along with the rest of the Florida Cabinet, voted to allow University of South Florida researchers to begin exhumation at the site of the former Dozier School for Boys in the Panhandle City of Mariana. It's a relief. The real work has yet to begin, but but now we can move forward, said Aaron Kimmerle, a University of South Florida anthropologist who is leading the effort. We will go slow and test our methods and really be able to make progress when it dries off. And finally tonight, North Carolina officials have pulled the license of one of 15 clinics in the state specializing in abortions, with the state citing alleged health and safety violations found during a recent inspection. FemCare Medical Clinic in Asheville was cited for 23 different violations, including failing to clean operating beds, using tape to hold the gas delivery system together, and not having a resuscitator available for patients. The clinic's license was suspended Wednesday, some two weeks after the expansion. Inspection. North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory last weekend signed a law requiring all abortion clinics to be held to the same standards as output surgical centers this past Monday. Thank you,
0: Jake. If you guys are avid listeners, then you'll know that uh, Jake Lingua is the former host of the show. So I want to give a big thanks to Jake for coming back and joining me today.
1: Sure, no problem. <laughs>
0: all right. So for the next story, the underground beat battle is a huge opportunity for Triangle natives to show their talents in producing and DJing beats. Interested in competing to be the best or just to watch? Look no further. If you're an aspiring producer or DJ in the Triangle area, this story is for you. The Underground Beat Battle is a series in which local artists can gain a little bit of spotlight and spread good word and great ideas. Here is more with Crystal. Hey, guys, I'm sitting here with Crystal Taylor, and she's going to talk a little bit about the underground beat battle that's happening here around Raleigh. So, first of all, Crystal, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really
0: good. I'm happy that you gave me a little bit of your time today. No,
3: thanks Mm -hmm. for having me. So tell
0: me about the uh, general idea behind the beat battle.
3: The underground has basically started to be able to try to influence more socially conscious hip hop in the community. We just want to try to make sure we develop more socially conscious events and structure and platforms here. There's not a lot that people can do and go and see. And I think Beat Battles are a great start to doing that. There's a lot of producers that have great talents and they need more exposure and platforms. This is a great networking opportunity for producers to meet other artists and other cats that are just trying to get in the game and learn from them. So. It's definitely a way to try to help bring rebuild that and bring it back to our community. Um, it's something that people need, especially with the fact that you know there's a lot of music out there that's just not really positive and um, it's really negative, and people are following it because they think it's cool and it's hip, but at the same time. You know, there's a lot of cats out here that have a great positive message that they're trying to get across, but no one's listening to them because they're not on BET or MTV.
0: And how does the uh, competition help aspiring artists in the area?
3: Well, it's like a big melting pot of networking for all the artists that, you know, anybody that's in the music industry or loves the community or the culture can come and meet different producers and different artists and they can, you know, nitpick their brains and find out how they made the beat, how they constructed it, what their thought process was, their flow, their talents. And it's basically a great networking mixer for anybody in the industry that wants to learn more and to develop and grow.
0: I know this has happened before or twice before. So how was the reception and the turnout for the last competition?
3: It's been great. I mean, people love the concept of being able to come out and have a great venue to check out and relax and just hear some authentic music that these producers have created, and it's not really expensive for the producers. It's a twenty dollar entry fee. It hasn't changed the last couple of times, and it's just a great way for people to come out. It's the general entry for general admission is usually around five to seven dollars. Um, we're gonna have food provided for a short period of time, maybe thirty to forty five minutes um, for the event. The you know just to show love to everybody that came come, that comes out. The caterer is Old Street Wings, Carmen Rice. Make sure you check her out on Facebook. She has amazing food. So, yeah, make sure you come out for that if you don't come out for the Beats. (laughs) Um, But we've definitely had a great turnout the last couple of events. The first one was at the Black Flower downtown. And the last one, um, Beat Battle 2, was at Deep South Bar. They've been great. They're, you know, everybody loves them. They have a great atmosphere, great seating, great lighting, acoustics. So we will continue um, working with them as well.
0: Cool. So who won the last two?
3: The first Beat Battle one was won by J Mac, the producer. He's done he's got credits with King Miz, Ghostface Killer, and uh Young Buck. The second, Beat Battle 2, was won by CG Music. He's out of Raleigh as well. He won the I-Standard division in Raleigh, and he won, you know, my second one as well. So he's he's pretty dope. Both of them are pretty dope. They have really good, soulful, great music that they, like, their skill is just awesome. So that's what kind of talent we want to bring. We want to hear a good diversified notion of music. Everybody loves a good headbanger. But, you know, we want to hear some soul, some diversification, you know, change it up, switch it up on. So I love samples. I love, love sampling. So um, I'm not saying that the producers gear their beats around what I like, but I don't have any influence on who wins. <laughs> Those
0: are some pretty big names. Ghostface, Killer, and King Mez and things like that.
3: Yeah, definitely.
0: Is it too late to sign up for the competition?
3: It is technically, we have a full roster for this, for Beat Battle 3. We do have a full roster, but if producers or beatmakers are interested in Beat Battle 4, they can definitely email me still um, in case someone can't make it. They're definitely There's definitely an option for them to get in and, you know, pay the fee and be able to compete. And furthermore, just to be on the email list that I go, I send out every session that we have uh, a battle. So they're definitely encouraged to email me and hit me up so I can have their contact information and vice versa.
0: Right. And what is the email?
3: The email is respecttheculture7 at gmail.com.
0: So when and where is the beat battle?
3: The beat battle is this Wednesday at 8 p.m. Doors open at 8 at Deep South Bar, 430 South Dawson Street in downtown Raleigh.
0: So is it difficult for a producer or a DJ in this in this area and in this day and age to get discovered and do you think that this competition helps with that?
3: I mean, I think it depends on what the producers are looking for. I mean, a lot of people are just worried about getting put on, about making it and making it out. I think that the the individual himself to know that they made a they have a craft, they're creating music. Um, it just depends on the individual. I mean, a lot of these producers. They still have jobs, they still work, they still have lives, and they're really just trying to develop themselves to be able to hopefully, you know, be picked up, maybe. I think that these battles really help producers grow. It helps their craft develop. It helps them network with other people to be able to work creatively with other artists in different camps. I think that most times, uh, now, day and age, it's not difficult because I think that the community and the culture is looking for something different They're looking for producers and they're looking for artists that are actually trying to be more socially conscious because we need that in our community. Um, I think that people are more likely to hopefully listen to someone that they've never heard of before and give them a better chance than something of the same old, same old that they've heard before. They're typically, you know, used to hearing that same thing. So that's why I'm definitely a huge underground fan of I've never heard of the person I love to hear new, new music all the time. Because we know what's out there right now. Um, a lot of people won't listen to anything unless they see it on B T or MTV, which is unfortunate because you're missing out on a lot of great music. But, I mean, that's the that's the way it happens. That's the way it is right now. So I think that it's not difficult. I think that as long as a person, DJ, uh, producer, you know, artist, as long as they're out there spreading themselves as thin as possible with their craft, that they're le- definitely likely to... Be known and be respected in the industry and in the culture, especially you know wherever they are.
0: Right, and we here at WKNC are definitely. I mean, we're on that train, you know, local music and trying to. I mean, influ- influence like sort of unique stuff around here. Right, so, right. So, um, it's definitely where we're where we're going with this. Uh, so are there Twitters or, or Facebooks for this event?
3: Yes, definitely. My Twitter is underground underscore NC. The Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash The Underground 7.
0: And uh, I'll definitely put those on the OT account. So if you guys are following me, you'll definitely have a chance to follow Crystal as well. So I'll definitely Yeah, go
3: that. follow me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, Crystal. Crystal, that's all I got for you today. Uh, thank you for coming in once again.
3: Thank you. Well, thank you for having me so much. You guys make sure you follow the Facebook page, like the Facebook page, follow the Twitter Um, Watch out for any events that's going on. Um, We don't just do beat battles. I like to do a lot of different events, freestyle battles for MCs, um, vinyl swaps. I'm thinking about trying to put that together. Anything that's going to help the culture to try to create a platform for what's going on right now because we need that in our community. We need to support our own and make sure we get the word out for these guys because... It's a craft, it's a God-given talent, and we need to support each other in our community because that's all we have right now.
0: Definitely. And for Iron the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Johnnies.
1: Wanna be a quick break stick around we got more on the way Sheen highlighted an organization late last year that strived to combat human trafficking. Just in case you missed that show, here we have important information on this terrible crisis.
4: Hey guys, so I'm sitting here today with two very important guests. They are the co-founders of the Shout to Stop Trafficking organization, and they are here to talk to us about the very relevant issue of human trafficking. Thank you guys so much for coming in, and could you start off by introducing yourselves?
5: So hey, I'm Andrea Miller, um, founder of Shout to Stop Trafficking. We're an international anti-human trafficking initiative, and we're headquartered here in Raleigh. We do uh, education advocacy and we do some direct services with uh, human trafficking victims. Those are usually victims that are already in shelters. Um, but one of the things that we do do is work with an underserved population of victims, uh, and those are prostitutes because people still view prostitution as a choice. And what I always say, if you're Julia Roberts in the movie Pretty Woman and you say who, you say when, and you say how much, then that's pretty empowering. But if you're a prostitute working the street and you're having sex with 20 or 30 uh, men a night, it's not a good life to be in. We're also increasing our outreach to pimps. Because not a lot of people are uh, working with pimps. Um, And studies are suggesting that a lot of pimps and madams actually have been molested in early childhood. Not all of them, but there is an inference there. So I think it's worth investigating.
4: Jerry, anything to add to that?
6: I'm Jerry Miller, and I am working along with Adrian at Shout to Stop Trafficking. I am a pastor, so I am part of uh, Pastors Against Trafficking. I'm the director for that. And we're also trying to reach out to nonprofits, faith-based nonprofits especially, and to churches, and trying to make people aware of this issue and also let them know how they can get involved in this very important issue and topic as well.
4: You mentioned that you did outreach to currently practicing prostitutes and pimps.
5: Yeah, we're doing a lot of street outreaches to identify at-risk persons. And those don't necessarily have to be victims of human trafficking, but um, domestic violence or homeless. We're just trying to get out there and find out exactly who is on the streets and what their needs might be. We do give out um, bottled waters. We talk to people. uh, We also give out hygiene items.
4: Now, how would you define the term human trafficking?
5: As in, what parameters are set for the scope of the term? It's really hard to track human trafficking victims because of the way it's identified or defined. But the way the government defines it is uh, a person that's involved in force, fraud, or coercion. Now, there are several types of trafficking. There's sex trafficking, and we hear a lot more about that. And then there's labor trafficking. There's two types of labor trafficking. Um, there's a coyote trafficking where you might pay a coyote, what they call a coyote, a person to bring you over the border for a price. Now, it may end once you get over the border, but sometimes it turns into sex trafficking. And then, of course, labor is when you're actually kidnapped or you're working in a farm and you're being exploited. A lot of labor trafficking is a lot of exploitation. So from what I gather,
4: this is more of an international issue as opposed to a domestic one.
5: Well, it is an international issue, but since domestic minor sex trafficking is the fastest-growing segment uh, that's increasing in the United States every year, we have a problem here at home. Domestic minor sex trafficking victims are victims under the age of 18 uh, that are involved uh, or forced, what they call forced prostitution. What we say are there's no – what do we say? There are
6: no Ah, child prostitutes. There are only prostituted children. And and every year, uh, this has been docu- documented by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and this is a conservative documentation. A hundred thousand children every year are being kidnapped, and many of those are uh, put into the sex trafficking uh, uh, area. Uh, as well. So we have a great problem here within the United States. And, uh, every year, the U.S. government says every year between 18 to 24,000 people are trafficked into the U.S. Uh, but also within the U.S., there are a lot more U.S. citizens being trafficked, uh, every year than people who are being brought in. So it's, right. really a, it's really, uh, it's really here right in the United States.
5: Well, and the United States government says there's, and the UN says this too. Approximately one million people are transnationally trafficked around the world each year. And about 25 percent of those people end up in the United States. But if we're what you're saying, Jerry, is that's not even included in, in the number for the whole world. So we're talking about these one million people that are at risk, plus the people here in the United States are being trafficked. So it is on it is on the rise. And, you know, human trafficking is being run by a lot of cartels now that are also involved in drug trafficking and smuggling So it is an issue here at home, and we need to be, you know, human trafficking is modern-day slavery. It's more than a civil rights violation. It's moral injustice, and it has to stop. We have to say the buying and selling of human beings is not okay.
4: Okay, and you mentioned earlier that North Carolina is sixth at risk for human trafficking in in the nation. And what are the local laws regarding human trafficking in North Carolina?
5: Okay, well the federal law is the TVPA and that was initiated in 2000 by the United States government and that's the Trafficking Victims Persons Act. But here in in North Carolina, they've adopted some of what the TVPA has said and they've adopted their own laws here. There's a number of statutes uh, pertaining to sexual servitude, uh human trafficking, uh, in North Carolina, we have some laws, but we really need to evaluate those and expand those because we need to go after, you know, a lot of times if a prostitute is arrested, she will be the one or he will be the one that goes to jail. And then the person who buys the sex, I call them a Jane if you're a girl and John if you're a guy, they get off. And, and I would love to start a John school here. Uh, thats I would just love to do that because we need to educate people that buying sex is not Okay. And people view buying sex as a rite of passage. Well, I'm old enough, I can buy sex. Well, but do you really want to buy sex with a girl or a guy? Because that person may be a victim of human trafficking. So I think that legislators here have addressed the issue, but I think they're slow in implementing laws that can close some of the loopholes. Now, the United States government and the State Department have come out with TIP. Now, TIP is Trafficking in Persons Report for the whole world, and they have ranked the countries. Uh, the higher you are on the list, the more you're at risk to traffic people, and a lot of that has to do with the prostitution laws. But here in the United States, we have adopted the TVPA and also the local laws. We just need to clean some of these laws up, go after some of the people that are the instigators of human trafficking.
4: Isn't it currently illegal in the state of North Carolina to buy sex?
5: Well, yes, and then we're going back to this Jane and John thing. It's not enforceable as it should be. Do you understand what I mean? So if a victim is, say a person is a prostitute selling sex on the streets for wherever they're at, Raleigh or whatever. Um, If they are caught, if someone is caught buying or they're caught doing this pandering or whatever, they can go to jail. And then they usually let them out. Oh, we'll just let you out. But see, that goes against their record. So what I want like them to do in the state of North Carolina is I would like them to say prostitution is wrong. Make a statement. Buying sex is wrong. And if you are caught buying sex, you have to go to jail. And the girl goes to jail, too. Now, in New York, I know Jerry and I were talking about this the other day in New York and some other states. If you are an official victim of human trafficking and you are a domestic minor sex trafficking victim and you are arrested as a prostitute, they're letting those records be expunged. Because the girl can't get a job or the guy can't get a job because of the stigma of this. So I would love to see us tighten the laws and I would love to say us across the board, North Carolina, we don't want you to buy sex. It's wrong.
4: So it's a legal gray area pretty much? Yeah,
5: absolutely. You know, they'll go after you for prostitution, but are they really gonna actually say, you know, Okay, you're a victim you're a victim, you're a prostitute and I'm gonna arrest you and arrest everybody. I just don't I think there's this assumption that it's okay to buy sex and the girl goes to jail. And then the guy gets
6: off. And it's the demand issue. Yes. If you reduce the demand, you reduce the issue greatly. And a lot of this has to do, once again, with laws. And if the laws were strengthened uh, to... Uh, provide adequate consequences or yeah. strong consequences right. against those who are actually purchasing the sex then that would greatly reduce the demand and also for the pimps or the traffickers if the laws continue to be strengthened that that will have more teeth and hopefully that will cut down on uh, the actual trafficking of victims yeah. and also uh, if i could mention one other thing in north carolina north carolina is a uh... Agriculture is a great industry in North Carolina, and I worked uh, a number of years ago with seasonal farm workers. At that time, I didn't really know about the issue of human trafficking but I realized that there was human exploitation taking place and possibly there could have been human trafficking taking place there as well so you have in North Carolina you have a lot of seasonal farm workers that are uh, being trafficked also you have those who are restaurant workers and also those who are uh, domestic workers Uh, they could be working in the hotel industry or they could be working as nannies uh, things like that so you You see that kind of uh, labor trafficking as well.
4: Yes, I definitely agree that this is a legal issue. But I was also wondering whether or not the social perception of human trafficking and maybe the perception that human trafficking victims are not indeed victims
5: helps contribute to fuel this vicious cycle. Well, I think that's really good, and that's very insightful of you because people still view... Buying sex is okay, it's a rite of passage, but we don't think about the victim in all this. And a lot of people say, how could a prostitute be a victim? They're willing to sell themselves. Some are, and some are not. And studies have suggested that a lot of prostitutes have early childhood sexual experience, and some of them are raped and molested. And that could be a way in which they enter into prostitution. Dealing with certain prostitutes, they'll call me and say, well, I need to enter the life again because of the economy. So for some of the prostitutes, it's an economic issue, regardless of what, how they are feeling emotionally or what's happened in their lives. Do you think the
4: issue stems from the fact that people living in a country such as the U.S. where the entire foundation of our doctrine and lifestyle is liberty and freedom and people assume that everyone has the same liberties as them, but that's not the case? Sometimes people are manipulated or threatened into doing things that they are not willing to do or things that they would not usually be willing to do. And maybe it's a result of economic or environmental stressors or coercion, blackmail, whatever the case may be. People just need to realize that the situation
5: is different from everybody and that people are victims in the situation. Well, and, you know, for victims of human trafficking, I've heard people say this. What did they do to get themselves into that? Well, they must have been having this at risk lifestyle, but that's not true. You know, some victims of human trafficking may have been prostitutes initially and they may have been forced after a certain time and then they become a victim of human trafficking. But we can't always say that a prostitute is willing. You know, so if people if people are going to buy sex and that is their choice, then they need to ask themselves, is this person a willing participant?
4: Are there international programs where they tell you, Oh, you can come to America, learn English, travel and work but it's actually an
5: exploitation scheme for their labor? Oh, yeah, we see that all the time. And like you said, Jerry, in the hospitality industry, I'm not saying everyone that works at a hotel is being trafficked or exploited. I'm not saying that. But certain occupations, like overseas, a lot of them are models, come to the United States, be a nanny, um, come to the United States and work in, in, in Las Vegas. And I'm not picking on any particular state. But some of those people that are labor trafficked are living in those areas where there's a high incidence of agriculture or there's a high incidence of hospitality where they're enticed to come here. Now, see, um, part of the TVPA, which is our national uh, trafficking law here in the United States, it says force, fraud, or coercion. So you could be coerced here easily. Hey, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to get paid $15 an hour. Like in the agricultural industry, sometimes I'm not saying every agricultural person that works, that's a, what they call a migrant worker, is exploited, but sometimes their problem is 6 or $7 an hour and they only get a dollar or two. That's an exploitation. So I think extreme exploitation can lead to this, you know, extreme manipulation, which can lead to human trafficking. So, yeah, definitely, I think there are some industries that definitely lead themselves to human trafficking, gateways at least.
4: How would you identify an at-risk individual for human trafficking?
5: trafficking. For human trafficking? Well, if that person is a domestic minor uh, and they're engaged in the commercial sale of sex, that would be an indicator for me. If I saw someone, which this happens, uh, you see someone that's uh, not of age, dressed maybe to attract attention. I might say to that person, you know, hey, how are you doing? And they would probably, and I will tell, I say this to people all the time. A real victim of human trafficking has a watcher at all times. If they're working the street, someone is watching for that person. And if you engage them in a way that's not going to be for enterprise, like I'm not going to give you $5 for a sexual act, then someone would see that and they would break that up right away. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They have watchers all because this is international crime. I mean, human trafficking is slated to be the second international crime to drugs by the year 2015. And in some areas, it already is. If if there's a minor and I might see that she's being watched and you can tell they'll usually look around and like you you need to do business or you need to leave right now that would give me a clue that maybe she was being watched and that person would be a victim of human trafficking now street prostitutes it's harder to get to the story on that but we can't just constantly say that every prostitute is doing it because she likes it so i might try to examine you know how are you doing do you need anything here's a bottle of water and then that may start us peeling the layers off you know and of course the the national trafficking victims hotline is one 888 37, 37 888. It's got the four numbers in the middle, so it's easy to remember. That's staffed 24 hours a day by people who speak many languages. So I always give them a card. Here's my number, which I don't use my name, I use a street name. Um, here's my number. Uh, call if you need something. And if you really want to be free, you can call 911 or you can call this trafficking hotline, and they'll get you some help.
6: And those who are being trafficked, uh, they're being moved. Uh, Every so often, from one city to another, right. and the different traffickers they will they will sell their people to another trafficker and there there is a known circuit this is according to law enforcement there's a known circuit around the u s that these these uh, people who are trafficked uh, travel mm-hmm. um, and also uh, circuit riding? and also there are uh, different ways that you may be able to identify a person if they don't know where they're at. Uh, if they don't know um, um, what month it is, what time of the year it is, um, if they don't have certain documentation, mm-hmm. you be- you can begin to assume that there may be something going on here, that this person may be in some kind of a, a situation where they're being exploited or they're being trafficked.
5: Now it's harder to spot. Um, A lot of times they say you have to look beneath the surface now. What's happening with prostitutes is because this is more of an international cartel kind of thing. They actually load the girls or the guys. um, Sex trafficking for men is on the increase. Um, So people think it's just prostitutes or or women, but there's also male or transgender prostitution is on the rise too. But a lot of times they'll have a tractor trailer rig or they'll have a van. And they work a certain area for an hour or two and then they'll move to another part of the city or they'll do it for a day and then they'll get in the car or the truck and they'll go to the next place because they don't want to be seen all the time. The, the police know what's going on a lot of times and they'll see what's happening and they usually move the women around on a circuit. That's why it's really hard sometimes to see prostitutes in our city. Definitely.
4: Definitely. And what demographic of people would you say is most at risk for human trafficking? You mentioned a lot of child trafficking, but is everyone at risk?
6: Well, the average age of entry into sex trafficking is is uh, getting uh, lower and lower, and that's between 12 and 14. So we definitely know that there are a lot of... Uh, Children, I I would say children that are at risk. And a lot of times there are those who are coming from dysfunctional homes Mm -hmm. and they may not be able to tolerate or they don't think they can tolerate what's going on at home. So they run away. And this is a proven, uh, proven fact that within 48 hours of, of a child running away from home, they are at risk of being trafficked. And that's seen over and over again. And also you have those uh, students, those children who are loner types, they're having trouble at home or trouble at school. And, uh, if they go to the mall, they're by themselves, yeah, the some, someone will, someone will approach them and they will make them, uh, say, they may, may say, Oh, you look very nice. so uh, they'll try to, Uh, approach them in some way to make them feel better and then that sort of hooks them in and that person will befriend them and sometimes that it may appear to be a girlfriend boyfriend situation and it may go on for a number of weeks or a number of months and then eventually this person may say well you know what i'm short on money and i need you to help me to make some money so you can can you do this for me if you really love me you will you do this for me tonight and so that that's a that's a, a way that they are they are it's called grooming and it's it, called grooming yes and it gets them ready for that next step so this can be a, a, a long term kind of grooming process and once again I'm so concerned, and Adrian is, too, about children. So we we also work with uh, other organizations that are um, anti-child abduction organizations, and we work uh, with this these organizations to have awareness events, and also uh, we go to different um, locations where families, we have child ID events.
4: Thank you so much for coming in, guys. Now, before we wrap up, is there
5: anything you would like to add for our listeners, maybe someone who would like to get involved? Well, I guess if people wanted to get involved in anti-human trafficking and abduction, we are pro-prostitute, but we are (laughs) anti-prostitution. So those are some of the areas we work in, and we would love to link up, um, you know, with people. And Pastors Against Trafficking, Jerry, I'm so glad that you were here today talking to pastors uh, and, and, you know, speaking to people who may want to build that network. Oh, we really appreciate it. And we would love to know if people would like to get involved. Um, there are people here we're working with at NC State. Uh, if they want to give us a call, uh, 919-846-6773. They can also email us uh, at um, stop at bellsouth.net. Shout and the number two. So stop at bellsouth.net. Okay. Thank you so much for coming in and informing us about this issue. Thank you for caring about this issue. I really appreciate that.
0: Every year, the annual record-setting blood drive rolls around, and every year, I get that needle stuck in my arm. It never really gets less rewarding, either. Give blood. The annual NC State Service blood drive is coming up very soon. This is another one of those Wolfpack traditions where students of all ages and years come together and give literally a part of themselves for someone else. Probably one of the best things, in my opinion, that you could ever do. Here's more with Shannon Gillespie of C-Slips. Hey guys, I'm sitting here with Shannon Gillespie. We're going to talk about the blood drive coming up in August. Um, so, Shannon, first of all, how are you doing today?
7: I'm very well, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. So, why should students participate in the blood drive?
7: The blood drive is a great opportunity for students to Serve their community. There's a huge need for blood donors. I think only like one or 3% of people who are eligible to give blood actually give blood. And NC State is a huge community of students and staff and faculty, and we have this amazing opportunity to provide this gift of blood to the community. Every donation, I think, can be used to save up to three lives. And so we have a really good chance to impact our local community.
0: Very cool. So is NC State trying to set a record with this drive as they have in the past?
7: We are. This is the fourth consecutive year that we have set a higher and higher record and tried to beat it. Um, Last year, we got 1,137 pints. And this year, our goal is 1,200 pints. And actually, last year was the 11th biggest single-day drive in the whole country.
0: Are there certain blood types that are in demand at the moment?
7: There are. The summer is a strange time for blood donation. There's always kind of a heightened need for blood donation in the summer overall. And right now, I think the Red Cross has a national call out for O negative, A negative, and B negative blood types. But blood is always in need. Like I said, like, very few people who are actually eligible donate. So we really need every, everybody we can get.
0: So definitely, if you are eligible, you know, no matter the blood type, uh, try and get out there. So can you donate um, anything else besides blood at the drive?
7: You can donate your time. <laughs> we are trying to achieve our goal of 1,200 pints, and in order to do that, we're going to be using about 300 Red Cross staff, and we also need between two and 300 volunteers And those volunteers are NC State students. So we would welcome as many volunteers as we can get. And we might talk about eligibility in a little bit, but volunteering is a really great way. Maybe you traveled somewhere and you can't donate blood, or there's some other reason that you're not eligible to donate. Volunteering is a really amazing way to contribute to the drive, and we really need volunteers. So that that would be awesome. And then... There are actually two different kinds of blood donations. Um, we're doing single and double unit.
0: And also, are there uh, platelet donations going on?
7: We are not doing platelets at this drive, Neither. but we are doing that, the double red cell machine, mm-hmm. which is super cool. Some people feel better after the double red cell machine because it cycles your blood and returns some of it to your body. It's a smaller needle. Um, yeah, and it's kind of cool because you're donating two pints. Instead of just one, so it's a you know double contribution, double awesomeness.
0: So if a student wants to give blood, how should they prepare themselves?
7: Well, the first thing I, that they should do is make an appointment. We have an online scheduling system through the Red Cross, and I would really encourage everyone who's interested to go ahead and make an appointment because then we can work really hard to make sure that people get in and out as quickly as possible and at a time that is most convenient to you. Um, So we're really encouraging people to make appointments ahead of time. And then kind of on the logistical end of things, I would encourage everyone to check the Red Cross website for eligibility. If you have eligibility questions about whether or not you've traveled or whether or not you're tall enough or whether or not your sweet new tattoo excludes you from donating blood, um, all those questions are answered online. And then finally, you definitely want to have a good meal that day and you want to hydrate yourself. And if you if you happen to have a morning appointment, some people aren't as well hydrated in the morning, so it'll it'll speed up your collection process. It'll make everything easier.
0: Um, I can attest to the uh, appointment thing. Actually, last last semester or last year, I decided to make an appointment, and the year before that, I didn't, and of course, the wait time was a lot longer when I decided to not make an appointment. So definitely uh, go out and make an appointment. Does the blood drive benefit NCSU in any way?
7: It does in. Uh, the sense that ncc is part of a community. Um, blood recipients, so the people who actually are on the other end of this whole blood donation process, come from all walks of life. They're babies, they're children, they're teenagers, they're adults. You, you never know who's going to need blood. And so it benefits, the blood drive benefits the NC State community in the sense that, like, you never really know who is going to be, like, in a car wreck, and all of a sudden they need, you know, several units to help save their life. And so by contributing to the blood drive, we're supporting our community, and honestly, you don't really know who it's going to benefit. But it's going to benefit someone. It could be your little brother. It could be someone you've never met. It could be someone in a different part of the country. But it's a very cool thing to be a part of.
0: Okay, so do you know the eligibility restrictions for giving blood?
7: There are a couple eligibility restrictions. The since we're in college, most everybody's old enough that so we don't need mom or dad to sign anything. Um, the for single cell donations, you need to be at least one hundred and ten pounds. Not single cell. Um, for single unit donations, the minimum weight is one hundred and ten pounds. Um, as with all eligibility requirements, if you don't, if you if you're disqualified for some reason then volunteer. That's my answer to everything. If you don't qualify, volunteer. Um, some people are concerned about tattoos, and North Carolina actually licenses their tattoo shop, so as long as it's not like a prison tattoo or something that your friend did, you're friended, you you're fine for piercings and tattoos if, if it's in like a, a certified shop. And if, I mean, for your sake, if you got a tattoo or a piercing, I hope it was in a certified shop. <laughs> um, our website has links to the Red Cross that talk about other eligibility requirements like travel and things like that. Um, And the website is go.ncsu.edu slash service NC State Blood Drive. All one word, service NC State Blood Drive. And we have links there to eligibility questions, to our volunteer sign-up form, to The Red Cross website where you can go and register. There's a lot of really good information there.
0: When and where is the blood drive?
7: The blood drive is in Carmichael Gymnasium, Friday, August 23rd from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. And we're actually doing kind of like concert style doors open at 730 in the morning. So you can get there early and then get all checked in and then actually be like ready to go in a chair by 8 o'clock. And we're actually really encouraging people to make those appointments and to show up in the morning if they can, because in the past we've found that everyone kind of gets out of bed and gets rolling in the middle of the afternoon. And, and so if you want, like, the fastest experience possible, I would really encourage you to come, come early, to register early, volunteer to register, and show up and donate early in the day.
0: Okay, so social media-wise, are there pages for The Drive, uh, Twitters or Facebooks or anything like that?
7: There sure are. We have a Facebook event, and I was wondering maybe I can send you a link. And we also have we're doing the Twitter through C Sleps, which is the parent organization of this whole this whole thing. And our like I said, our website with like the repository of all the links that you could want is go.ncsu.edu slash service nc state blood drive.
0: Well, thank you so much, Shannon, for sitting down with me today and make some time to donate blood. It's definitely a good cause. For Eye on the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. about wraps up all we got for you guys this week. A big thanks to Jeff from Southbound eighty five and Shannon Gillespie for their
1: time. From all of us here at Eye in the Triangle, we thank you for tuning in. We'd also like to thank Gene Zernov and Crystal Taylor for taking the time to help us with the show. Remember to check out the Beat Battle coming up. Another
0: huge thanks to Jake Lingua's for coming back to the show for old times' sake. Congratulations on graduation, Jake. Thank you. <laughs> and as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that you made that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter. Hey, it's Tim from Swells and you are listening to WKNC. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Sorry, guys. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org.
2: Until August 20th. Good night.